The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. If I were to ask you, what is your very favorite Christmas tradition, how would you, how would you answer that question? I mean, maybe for some of you, your favorite part of Christmas is uh, just getting together with family and uh, enjoying their presence. Uh, maybe for others of you, how many of you would say, you know, my favorite part is maybe the food. You just say, man, I love the Christmas food, the Christmas cookies, uh, the Christmas candy. Uh, how many of you would say it is opening the presents or giving the presents? You say, ah, something about the presents is a, is a great part of the Christmas tradition. Uh, how many of you enjoy singing? There's the Christmas carols, uh, singing together. That's always a fun part of it. And uh, right now, we're currently in a series where we are talking about the famous Christmas carols that we often sing uh, throughout the year. And what's, I'm sorry, around the Christmas season. And and what's interesting is many of the Christmas carols that we sing really are founded in uh, scriptural passages. And so we're looking at some of these passages that inspired some of these famous Christmas carols. Uh, Today, we're going to be speaking on the subject of O Come, all ye faithful. How many of you know this song, O Come All Ye Faithful? We've heard it before. We'll sing in a moment. O Come All Ye Faithful was ri- originally written in Latin as Adeste Fidelis. It's a Christmas carol that has been actually attributed to several different authors. In fact, it's, it's one of the few Christmas carols that we don't really know who actually ended up writing it. Um, One of the authors that got attributed to uh, this particular song was a man by the name of John Francis Wade from 1700s. And uh, the reason some people believe it was him is because he was the very first person to publish this song, O Come All You Faithful, in in like like a songbook. However, uh, some attribute it to King John IV of Portugal uh, as early as 1600s. Uh, because of the fact that uh, the earliest manuscript with some of the words to this song uh, is found in his personal library with his name on it. And there are even some who say he got it from some monks who had written it even before that in the 1500s. And so the reality is this, we, we really don't know exactly who wrote the song. And like so many truths uh, in the Christian life, I, I think that the message is always more important than the messenger. And I think that would be the case even with this song, that the message really is more important than the messenger. Uh, this particular song, "All Come, O Come All Ye Faithful, has a theme that's woven into the song that really is going to be the theme for our message today. And that is simply this that God invites us to come. He invites us to come into His presence. And so the question I want to ask each and every one of us this morning as we dive into our Bible study is this. Are you coming personally to experience and enjoy the presence of God in your everyday life? Are you coming to experience and enjoy the presence of God in your everyday life? If your life is anything like mine, it's busy, there's a whole lot going on, there's tons of distractions, and it's so easy to focus on a dozen things that are less important than what God calls us to focus on. And so I want to ask you, are you you coming on a regular basis to experience and to enjoy the presence of God in your everyday life? 
Uh, before we begin, there's a couple quick announcements I want to make, and then we're going to dive into our study. But next Sunday is going to be a big Sunday for us. We are doing our uh, annual Christmas premiere, and this is going to be a little bit different for us. Uh, we're going to come together, and we really have a story that we're going to show via uh, video, and uh, it's a narrative. We've not really done something like this before that really tells a story. Maybe some of you have been to churches, and they'll act out a play on the stage and things along those lines. We're going to do something like that, but via video, and then we're going to weave just a sermon into that, really that speaks on this subject of the gift of Christmas. It'll be an awesome opportunity for you to invite friends and loved ones and neighbors. In fact, on your way out, we've made a bunch of invitations available. You can grab those at the table, invite anybody that you come in contact with. We're going to just have a great celebration next Sunday morning as we prepare for this Christmas season. And then for those of you who are available and in town, we are going to be having a Christmas Eve service on the 24th at 5 p.m. That'll be a candlelight service. We'll do some carols. We'll also be partaking of communion that evening. And so It'll be a wonderful time. It will be a short service for those of you who have plans. We'll get you out real quick. It'll be about 35 to 40 minute service, but it'll be a wonderful time just to get together as we move into the Christmas season. So I do hope that many of you uh, can be a part of that. Uh, on your way in, you guys should have received a uh, service program inside. There's a guide that you can use to follow along through the Bible study. Uh, for those of you who are guests, and maybe this is your first time, there's also a little connection card. I'd encourage you to fill that out if you get a chance. We'd love to have a record of your attendance here with us today. And we sure are honored that you chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, for those of you who are physically able, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read from our text in Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 11. Uh, this is the specific passage that really inspired the Christmas carol, O come, all you faithful. Let's begin reading in verse number 1 of Matthew chapter number 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not thou the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what, what time the star had appeared. And he said to them, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'm going to speak on this subject of come all you faithful. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive into our Bible study from this text after that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you came to this earth so that we could come and experience your presence and everything that goes along with experiencing that. 
Lord, I pray that you'd meet with us this morning. I pray that you would allow our time together in your word to be profitable. I pray that it would really impact our hearts, our lives, Lord, in a way that only your word and your spirit can accomplish. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So this morning, I want us to notice three ways, all right? Three ways in which we can come and experience God's presence, just like we see these wise men doing in the passage that we just read a moment ago, all right? So that's what we're going to unpack over the next few moments. And, and let's just begin with verse number two. Notice what it says. It says, it says in verse one, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east, to Jerusalem. Notice what it says in verse 2, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? This is interesting, for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, uh, several traditions place the number of wise men at three. How many of you have ever seen one of these nativity scenes? And there's the, how many wise men do they usually have there? There's usually the three of them, right? And so a lot of traditions tend to place these wise men at three. And, and the reason that this is commonly done is because there were three gifts that were given. And so a lot of traditions say, since there were three gifts that were given, there were probably three wise men there. The reality is many scholars, as they look and understand kind of the culture around these types of things, uh, some uh, even put this number as high as 11 or 12 actual wise men or magi that were on this particular journey. Um, the, tr the reality is, it says here that they came from the east, and uh, some people have kind of begin to kind of think where this might be. Some have identified them coming from Arabia. Uh, some have said they came from Persia. But really, most people would agree that it was no further east than that. Um, there are actually some primitive Christian art in second century Roman catacombs that uh, have these wise men actually dressed in Persian garments. And so uh, the majority of early church fathers would interpret these magi or these wise men as actually been Persians, all right? These Persian men were known to be old and powerful uh, priestly group. They were a religious group of people uh, from the Medes and the Persians. They were, they were kind of these old sage types, you know? They, they were extremely well-educated. They were specialists in a variety of uh, different disciplines, including medicine. Uh, these men would have been experts when it came to religion, as well as even uh, astronomy. These, these wise men were really the noblest of all the nobles, the elite of society. They were admired by their countrymen, uh, sought after by kings because these men were wealthy, uh, they were knowledgeable, and they were admired. And so here we see that these men who were highly educated, the Bible says that they saw the star of the Messiah in the east. Uh, some believe this comes from Numbers chapter number 24, verse 17, where it says, There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter or a king shall rise out of Israel. And some believe this to be a messianic prophecy of some of the situations, the circumstances that would take place with this coming Messiah. So literally throughout the entire Old Testament, there were many, many prophecies regarding the birth of, the life and the death of this one who would become the Messiah. 
So hundreds and sometimes even thousands of years before the time of Jesus, these prophecies were given to the children of Israel to say, this, this is what the Messiah is going to be. This is who the Savior of the world is going to be. And so these prophecies, were, they were promises of sorts, all right? Promises given to an ancient people regarding the salvation of the world. And so here in this passage, these magis were allowing these prophecies to guide and to direct them on their journey, which leads leads us to the first thought that I, I really want us to focus on this morning, and that is this. If we're going to experience his presence, much like these magi got to experience the presence of God, number one, we must come towards his promises. We must come towards his promises. That's what we see the wise men doing. They read these prophecies in the Old Testament. They were educated men. They studied many ancient religions. They knew the prophecies of this coming Messiah, this one who would be the Savior of the world. And so they see this prophecy about the star. They are students of astronomy. They notice this taking place. And, and now they are literally moving toward that particular promise. And this goes right in line of what the song says. It says this. It says, Oh, come, all ye faithful joyful and triumphant. It says again, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. That's exactly what these magi were doing. They're following the star, coming to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. So just like these magi move toward God's promises, it's not just like they were aware of the promises of God. They literally allowed these prophecies, they literally allowed these promises to impact their decisions and the direction in which they moved. It, they actually allowed it to influence the way they lived, all right? And in doing so, in following these promises, they literally got to experience the very presence of God. Let that sink in for a moment. Because these men were willing to follow, to come after and to follow after the promise of God, these prophecies, they personally were able to experience the very real, near presence of God, the creator God, the sustainer God. And so for us today, we also have promises given to us, and these promises also allow us to experience in a very real way the very presence of God. Um, I think I've got here. Yeah, I do. How many of you guys know what this is? You guys know what this is? Can you, can you see it here? You guys know? All right, it's a checkbook. How many of you, you guys, how many of you have a checkbook? How many of you still use a checkbook, all right? A few of you still use a checkbook. How many of you are like, no, we're done with checkbooks, you know? We're going digital, you know? Uh, back in the day, a checkbook would have been called a promissory note. Promissory note. Check, a promissory note. And, and, and a check was a promise that value would be given. So here's what I've decided to do to illustrate this for a moment. I'm going to give one of you, I'm going to write out a check to one of you guys for $100 right now. This is real, okay, this is true. We're going to, we're going to make this happen. <laughs> All right, we already got volunteers. Amen. Well, I love just how I just involved our church is, and you guys are so just willing to be used of the Lord. Amen. And so here's, here's the reality. If I, were to write, if I were to write you a check real quick, and I'm going to in just a moment, I want to ask you this question. How does that change you? Think, I want, think, think about this for just a moment. When somebody gives you a check, maybe at Christmas time or for your birthday, somebody gives you a check, what is, how does that change your attitude? 
What does, that, what does that do for, for your attitude? What does that do, you know, for your behavior? I, I think about me, uh, some of the things, when I, if I get a check and somebody gives me a check and I've, I've received a couple of checks and, and I get that check and one of the things I do is I, I'm making sure I'm keeping it safe, right? You don't want to lose that check. How many of you have lost a check and it feels awkward? You can't go back to the person and be like, you know that check you gave me? You know I lost it. Can you give me another one? It's just weird, right? And so you, you try to keep it safe. It, it affects your behavior. You're going to keep that thing safe. Uh, how many of you, if you get a check, uh, you you expect that if somebody gives you a check, you expect that when you take it to the bank, it's, it's going to cash. How many of you expect that? How many, you're, you're not going and taking a check expecting it to bounce, all right? Now, some of you have experienced a bounce check, but you don't expect that to happen. You have this expectation that when I take that check, not only is it going to be good, it's going to cash. And, and eventually, if, you really be, if, if, if that promissory note, and you really believe that promissory note is going to be of value, eventually you actually allow that reality, that thought to motivate you to go to the bank and cash it. Or for some of you people, pull out your phone and take a picture of it and cash it that way. All right? And so that's something, that's something that is often done. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking around. Landon, why don't you come up here for just a minute? All right? I, I was looking for somebody close. I was going to pick Jackie, but I felt like she was just a little too eager. <laughs> come on up here, man. How do, you sp- how do you spell your last name, Landon? Uh, G-O-L. You're going to have to do so lower. I think I feel like I butcher it all the time. G-O. L. G-O-L. D-S. B-O. B-O. R-O. I should have picked an easier name. <laughs> okay. B-O-R-O-U-G-H. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. All right, now. I'm going to give this to you for just a moment. Let's, uh, let's go over some of what we've learned a minute ago. So I'm going to give you this check. Does that look like a real check? Looks like a real All right. It looks like a real check. It is. And, and, and I want you to have... So let's, let's talk about this for just a moment. If, if you really believe that is a promissory note from me to you, let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you going to, try, are you going to do your best to keep that safe? Yes. Yeah. Do you expect it to cash when you take it to the bank? Do you think it's going to bounce or do you think it'll, it'll cash? I think it'll go through. Okay. He thinks it's going to go through. You know, let me ask you this. Will you eventually cash it? For this. All right. So here's what I'm trying to illustrate for just a moment. When you really believe a promise, if you really believe it, it changes things about you. It changes your expectations if you really believe it. It changes your attitude. It actually even changes behavior. Because now he's going to go to a bank. He wasn't, he wasn't maybe going to go there before, but now that he has this check, he's going to head in the direction of bank so he can cash it. Why? Because he believes the promise that I've made to him in the form of a check. All right. Thank you so much, Landon. You may have a seat. Go ahead. That's yours. All right. You can take it. And uh, land the hand there. Here's, here's my point that I'm trying to illustrate for just a moment. I made a small promise to Landon, but I want to say this. God has made a much bigger promise to you. Massive promise. He's promised you not only eternal life through his son Jesus Christ, but he's also promised you abundant life here on earth as we align with his will. It is a promise that the God of the universe, the creator of all that there is, and the sustainer of life, that God has made a promise to you. How do you know whether or not you believe that promise? Has it affected your expectations? Does it affect your attitude? Does it affect your behavior? For these magi, for these wise men, they not only knew about the promise and the prophecies, they believed it. 
And because they believed it, it changed their expectation. They expected to meet this young Messiah. They allowed the attitude of expectation to literally cause them to journey hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands of miles so they could experience the presence of this Messiah for themselves. And they were willing to journey and make the journey and spend the money on the journey. Why? So they could experience that promise for themselves. Because when you really believe a promise, it moves beyond just intellectual intellectual understanding and it starts to change your life and that's how you know whether or not you believe the promise throughout scripture there are many promises that god gives us many great and precious promises and second corinthians chapter number one verse 20 says this for all the promises of god in him are yes that is to say every promise that god gives you The yes has already been attached to the promise. God, are you going to do this? And if God had made the promise, the answer is already yes. If God makes a promise, you don't have to wonder whether or not it's going to be true. Yes. Yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. That means it's final. It's secure. It's done. Amen. Unto the glory of God by us. One theologian said it this way. He said, our future is as bright as the promises of God. I want to remind you that your your future is as bright as the promises of God. You can go to his word and just like those magi, they took the prophecies, they took the promises that were given and they were able to live their life in light of, of those promises being true. And you know what? They found out they were true. I want to encourage you to keep your focus on the promises of God. Because there are a thousand things that will try to distract you today. There are so many things that will try to get you to doubt. That will fill you with discouragement. That will make you feel like, I don't know if this is going to come together the way God says it will come together. Keep your focus on the promises of God and then allow those promises to influence you. Just like these magi allowed the promise to influence their expectations and influence their decisions and influence their behaviors, so we, when we truly believe the promises of God, they change us. And if they are not changing us, that's a good sign we don't actually believe them. We know about them, but we don't believe them. Because if we believe them, it changes our expectations, it changes our attitude, it changes our actual behaviors. Because we live in light as if those promises were true. So if we're going to experience the presence of God, number one, we need to come toward his promises. Come toward his promises. Let's keep reading. Notice verse number nine. The Bible says, when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. All right, I want, you to, I want you to think about these men for a moment. We don't know if there was three of them or if there was 10 or 11 or 12 of them. 
But we do know this, that these men traveled hundreds of miles, maybe even thousands of miles, all right? They traveled across desert. In ancient times, it would have been very dangerous to travel. In this day and age, there were many thieves and robbers that would have been in the roads. This would have been a very treacherous time. And you could just imagine, even with the uh, elements around them, whether it would be the cold or the heat, the reality is that here they were traveling. Why? So they could move in this direction. James chapter number 4, verse 8 says this. It says this, and I want you to think about this. It says, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. Here were these wise men. They had heard these promises, and so they allow these promises, these prophecies, to influence their behavior and influence their decisions, and they start moving in the direction of God's promises. They started acting as if this promise was true before they experienced the reality of it. Let that sink in for a moment. They acted as if the promises were true before they experienced the reality of it. And that's what these men are doing. They're drawing nigh to these promises. They're drawing nigh to his presence. And the Bible says when you draw nigh to God, he draws nigh, he draws close unto you, which leads us to our next thought that I want us to focus on today. Not only do we see we need to come toward his promises, but I want you to see, secondly, I want to encourage you to come into his presence. To come into his presence. This goes along with what the song says. It says this, Yea, Lord, we greet thee. Born this happy morning, Jesus, to thee be glory given. Notice this phrase, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. The word of God made flesh. That's what John chapter number one tells us. That God, that the word was with God. The word was God. And the word was made flesh which brings us to the second point. That's this, come into his presence. Just like these wise men, just like these wise men traveled, it's not always easy to get to a place where you can experience the presence of God. How many, how many of you have ever had a hard time getting someplace that you needed to go? How many of you have ever made plans? You were going to go on vacation. You were going to make a, take a trip. How many of you have ever had a situation where either there was traffic or there were roadblocks, or some situation came up, and it was difficult to get to where you needed to go. Uh, I've told you before that way back in the day, in the early 2000s, my very first church, me and Jenny had the opportunity of pastoring a little church in Boron, California, uh, called the First Baptist Church of Boron. I think we got a little picture of us. This is way back when we were just little kids back then, and I think this would have been, I don't know, 2002, 2003 or something. And so, I, I don't know, we were probably 21 or 22 years old, and there's a little country church out in the middle of the desert, and uh, we pastored it. And on one occasion, uh, while I was pastoring out there, I got invited to speak at a, at a, at a Christmas event on a Saturday evening. And uh, so this event was taking place at a church uh, in Las Vegas, and so we were going to speak there that evening. And then Boron's probably about three hours away, and so this event was going to go late, kind of a Christmas party type thing, was going to go late into the evening. So we decided what we would do, since I'm not really good at driving late at night, how many of you struggle with driving late at night, you start dozing off, falling asleep? I just do better in the mornings, I thought I'm going to wake up really early, and then we'll drive back home. And so this was on a Sunday morning, so I thought, you know what, we'll wake up early, we'll drive back, it was about a three-hour drive. I won't be too tough. You know, church started, it says there, 
there at 9.45. So if I left at 6.30, I was going to be good. And so that morning we woke up, Jenny and I, we got in our car, we started driving and uh, making our way from Las Vegas back to Boron. And I don't know what happened, but I think everybody else in the world wanted to make that same trip that we were out of Las Vegas. Everybody was leaving. They were, they were out of there. They were gone. And I remember it was about oh, 7.30 in the morning, and we're literally in the worst traffic I'd ever experienced in my entire life. We're out in the middle of desert. I mean, it is backed up. I mean, literally for dozens of miles, and nobody's moving. I'm looking at my clock, and I'm like, I got to get to church at 9.45 because I've got to preach. And I remember just it being so, the, it just being so backed up, so much traffic. Finally, 9 o'clock came around, 9.30 came around, 9.40, and I'm sitting in the middle of the desert. Jenny and I were in a vehicle, just totally stopped, like, Finally, I had to call somebody from the church. I said, I hate to do this. This is really awkward. I know I'm the pastor. Uh, I don't think I'm going to make it. <laughs> it was literally like it's on like one of the only times I can ever think of in my entire life where I missed church on a Sunday. It was like just nothing I'd ever done, but there I was, stuck. And we've all been in situations like that where we were just stuck. We were trying to get somewhere. Uh, but all of a sudden, there was just things that were keeping us from getting to our destination. And it's the same way as we're trying to draw near to God, as we're trying to lean into his promises. How many of you in your life, you've had times where you were trying to lean into the presence of God? You were trying to lean into his will. You were trying to journey toward where he wanted you to be, and you found that there were obstacles along the way. How many of you found, you're, as, as much as you were trying to, it just seemed like there were things that would come in your way uh, all the time. And we've all had times where difficulties would keep us from getting where we needed to go. And just like these wise men, I'm sure, as they journeyed and as they traveled, it wasn't an easy journey. So it is, as we are going to come into the presence of God, I'm going to say to you, there's going to be some difficult times on that journey. Don't let anybody tell you, well, since you're leaning into God and since you're trying to move in the direction of his presence and his spirit, it's all just going to be a walk in the park. Can I say this? It's not. And if you get this idea that it's going to just be super easy, you know, to do this thing, I'm telling you what, you're going to be in for a lot of disappointment because it's not always easy. In fact, oftentimes it's hard. There's roadblocks. There's times where you're just sitting there in traffic wondering, where am I even, like, am I even going anywhere? How many, how many of you have been there like me with this in your spiritual life? You're just like, I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying in my spiritual life to get there, but I don't know, it's just not moving. We've all been there. Sometimes it's because of difficulties, right? We're trying to do, we're trying to, which we, man, so badly, we want to just experience God's presence. We want to experience his will. We're trying to lean in that direction and difficulty after difficulty, problem after problem, challenge after challenge, and these things just keep coming up. We've all been there. Maybe for others of you, it wasn't, dis it wasn't problems. Maybe for some of you, it's flat-out temptation. And you're trying to lean into God's will. You're trying to lean into his presence. But then all of a sudden, this temptation from your past comes up. This temptation from this individual. This temptation from this circumstances. And these temptations start to distract you from the journey that you're on. 
I want you to see, though, here we see in this passage what, we, what we're reminded is that, that we can come into his presence, even in the midst of these difficulties, even in the midst of these temptations. God will oftentimes use these difficult circumstances to bring us into his presence. I think of what Jeremiah chapter number 29, verse 13 says. It says this. It says, And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Oh, what a wonderful promise. I will, you'll seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Why, why is this so important? Why is it so important to lean into the presence of God? Here's why. Because the only thing that can fulfill the human spirit, I'm talking about your human spirit, I'm talking about my spirit, the only thing that can fulfill the human spirit is the spirit of God. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. You were designed to run on the Spirit of God. And yet we live in a culture that tells us that we need a thousand other things rather than the Spirit of God to be satisfied, to be content, to be fueled to live. We need more money. We need more friends. We need different relationships, nicer. We have a, our culture tells us, no, you need all of these things in order to be satisfied, in order to be content. And yet the, remind, the reality is what we need is the presence of God more than anything else. That is what, how our life was designed to move forward, to be, move forward in his presence and to move forward by his spirit. So here's what I want to encourage you with. I want to encourage you to persevere through this journey. It won't be easy to come to his presence all the time. His presence is always available. Man, thank the Lord for his grace. But to experience and enjoy his presence, that's going to take some perseverance. I'll say that again. His, his presence is always available to you. I don't care what you've done, where you're pat, his presence is always available. But your ability to enjoy and experience his presence sometimes will take some perseverance. It'll take some staying steadfast in times where it just feels like, man, God's nowhere to be seen. So if we're going to experience his present, we need to come toward his promises. That's what, that's what we see in these wise men. Come into his presence. Now notice verse 11. The Bible says, And when they were coming to the house, these magi, these wise men, they saw the young child and Mary, his mother. Notice this. And it f they fell down and worshipped him. They worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here, here's the key phrase I want you to see. It says here they worshipped him. Let me give you a working definition of the word worship. It means to reverently honor something or someone by ascribing, here's the key word, ultimate worth. So it's honoring something or someone by ascribing them ultimate worth and prioritizing the value of that thing above all else. It's worship. It's saying, I ascribe worth and I prioritize the value of this above everything else. When you do that in a particular moment, that is worship. That is worship. And so I would ask you, what is it that you worship? What is it that you give an ultimate priority to? What do you give an ultimate priority of value to in your life in a certain moment? We've had situations where, 
you know, we've had, over the years, I remember on one occasion there was this guy who would come to church, and he was real faithful to church, except when his football team was playing on the, the TV. If, he, if they were getting his football te- game in, then he was like, I'm going to watch this football game instead of going to church. And he would be like, but I go to church a lot more than I watch football, so that's my priority. And I remember having to say to him, no, just because you go to church more than you go and watch your football team doesn't mean church is your priority. Here's how you know what your priority. What wins when those two things, you know, conflict? That's what you, when you know what your priority is. If every time, you know, God's will and your football team conflict, if your football team wins every time in that conflict, that's your priority. Even if you go to church, you know, nine times out of ten when those conflicts don't happen. Do you understand how we understand what our priorities are? That's how it works. Because we want to think, no, my priorities is whatever I do the most of. No. Your priority is actually what it, whatever wins whenever something conflicts with that thing. That's how you know what your priority is. And even though you might do something nine times out of ten, your priority is when, when those things are, when you have to make a choice, whatever wins on a consistent basis, that is your priority. That is the thing that you are ascribing ultimate worth to. And so we see these wise men, they're they're ascribing worth to this Messiah. They give him praise, and that's exactly what the the shepherds did as well. In fact, in Luke chapter number 2, the the Bible says that the shepherds returned. uh, Once they saw Jesus, they returned, and it says they glorified and praised God for all the things that they had heard and seen and was told in them, which leads us to our final thought this morning, and that is this. Yes, we come toward his promises. We come into his presence. And then thirdly, I want to say we come away with praise. We come away with praise. It's so important that as we spend time in the presence of God that our hearts redound with worship and with praise. You see, anytime we actually experience the authentic presence of God, worship and praise is going to be the natural response. That's, that's how it works, and it goes along with the song. In the last verse it says, Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exaltation. Sing all ye citizens of heaven above. You feel the praise. You feel the worship in this, this verse. Glory to God in the highest. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. And so we see this coming away with praise. Psalms chapter number 100 and verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So why is this important? Because when you enter his presence with praise... He enters your circumstances with power. See, some people want to lead you to believe that the things that you want most, joy and peace and hope, these things that your heart longs for, and every one of our hearts longs for those things, the world wants to try to convince you that you can find those things apart from the presence of God. But I want to declare to you today that God is love. He is the Prince of Peace. These are not just qualities that God gives. They are qualities that He is. And so to experience His presence is to experience His love. To experience His presence is to experience His peace. To experience His presence is to experience His hope. In fact, there is no experience of real, authentic love and joy and hope apart from experiencing His presence. And that's why experiencing His presence is so powerful in the life of a human being. 
Because as long as you're trying to experience those things apart from God, it's going to be an exercise in futility. Because it doesn't exist. So to come toward his promises and come into his presence and come away with praise is what allows us to experience that which our heart most deeply longs for. And we live in a world that tells us, hey, here's this hobby, chase after that hobby because that hobby will ultimately satisfy. And I just want to say to you, it just won't. And I'm not condemning that thing. I'm just saying it won't provide you what you think it'll ultimately provide you. And God says, I've got something better for you. I've got the very thing that your soul most deeply craves, the thing that I designed you to need more than anything else. What your soul needs is to experience the very real presence of God because it is in his presence that you experience joy and in his presence you experience peace and in his presence you experience hope. That is what your soul was designed to long for. And yet the world will tell you, no, chase after this thing and that thing and those things. And it's not that those things are bad, it's just they're insufficient. They won't ultimately satisfy and they will always leave you longing and wanting for more. So, uh, so last week was my birthday. It's uh, turned 39. It's my very last year in my 30s. So I'm, I'm going to enjoy it, all right? My friends told me after this, it's all downhill, all right? So that's what they say. <laughs> and when I was a kid, um, my, my dad had this tradition, and on my birthday, uh, he would he would uh, take me out and he'd say, hey, what do you want to go do? And, and I'd get to pick something that I'd want to do. And he'd say, where, where do you want to go eat? And he'd take me somewhere to go eat. And it's something that, honestly, looking back on my childhood, is probably one of the highlights of my childhood looking back was just those moments where I got to spend time in the presence of my father. And so it's a tradition I've, in, I've, I've continued. So today, my son Anderson turns 13 years old. He's sitting here on the second row. It's his birthday today, 13 years old today. We have our second teenager. We only have one kid left, all right? He told me yesterday, came to me and said, Dad, this is the last day. I'm a kid, all right? So, so he's not a kid anymore, all right? He's all grown up. And so we'll continue the tradition. After church, I'm going to go to him and I'm going to say, hey, where do you want to go? And he'll tell me, I want to go do this. And I'm going to say, where do you want to go eat? And he'll say, I want to go eat here. What do you want to get? And, and we'll continue that. And, and the reality is this, That'll be the gift for him. You know what the gift for me will be? Just getting to be with Anderson. Getting to spend time with him. That'll be my gift. That will be what I enjoy and look forward to. And I can only imagine that it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. That he sees us running around looking to a dozen things smaller than his presence to satisfy our souls with. And what he longs for more than anything else is just time with you. Time in your presence. And much like I'll be able to spend time with one of my kids and, and just what, what a joy that'll be to my heart. So in the same way, God rejoices when you lean into his presence to spend time with him. Our theme was this, God invites us to come into his presence. And the moral of this passage of Scripture and, and really the song that we'll sing in a moment is this. Whether you're a lowly shepherd or a lofty king, God has come to make his presence available to you. Wow. That's awesome, isn't it? The king of heaven 
wants to be with you. He values you that much. He loves you that much. He cares about you that much that more than anything else, he just wants to be with you. So here's the takeaway, and we're done. It's very simple. Come into his presence. Come into his presence. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.